What October 7th did is pull off all the masks. The understanding that what we are seeing in protests on the streets, on campuses, in Congress, mm -hmm. on social media, anybody that cannot unequivocally condemn the atrocities, the barbaric, savage acts of October 7th is actually identifying with Hamas, a genocidal terror organization that is fueled by the very same anti-Semitism that enabled it to murder and butcher and maim and rape and abduct and is empowered by these voices that excuse it, that justify it, that deny it. And at the core of all of that is anti-Semitism in its mutated form, the modern mainstream form on university campuses, online, on the streets, the form of anti-Zionism. Anybody that does not accept the existence of the State of Israel, which Hamas in its charter, just like Mein Kampf, is committed to annihilating, to the murder of Jews, just like Nazis were committed to, anybody that does not support that existence is clearly identified with the anti-Semitism of today's version. Welcome to the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. hour go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news for tnt radio news this is james o'neill israel said its ground forces had pushed into gaza overnight to attack hamas targets as israeli prime minister benjamin netanyahu said it was preparing for a ground invasion that could be one of several we are in the midst of a war over our existence we set two goals for this war to wipe out Hamas by eradicating both its military and governmental capabilities and to do anything and everything possible in order to bring our hostages back home. All Hamas activists must die above the ground, beneath the ground, inside Gaza, and outside of Gaza. Together with Minister of Defense Gallant, the Minister Benny Gantz, the Security Cabinet, Chief of General Staff, and the heads of the security forces, we are working around the clock in order to carry out and execute the goals of our war until victory. And we do so without any political considerations. The only thing we care about is saving this country and obtaining victory. We are bringing down lethal fire on Hamas. We've already killed off thousands of terrorists. The EU has been accused of virtue signaling and bullying after a report found that the bloc suffers from shocking and shameful discrimination. Former MEP Ben Habib accused the EU of pointing the finger at the UK for wanting to leave the EU when the bloc itself is riven with racism. The new report, which compared countries across the region, found people of African descent regularly face racial discrimination, harassment, and violence in all aspects of their lives, regardless of where they live in the EU. The report found that almost half of black people in EU experience discrimination, which marks an increase since the last report was conducted in 2018. Israeli Ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, 
demanded Secretary General Antonio Guterres step down, accusing him of showing compassion for terrorists and murderers in a speech to the Security Council. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. And you, Mr. Secretary General, have lost all morality and impartiality. Because when you say those terrible words that these heinous attacks did not happen in a vacuum, you are tolerating terrorism. This is a pure blood libel. And I think that the Secretary General must resign. DT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says nations are acting just like they did with Ukraine. Now, this outburst by the Israeli representative to the United Nations is very telling. What is he upset about? What is in the text of the UN Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, that has really upset the Israeli ambassador to the UN? And looking at the text, the real word that pops out that's problematic is the word ceasefire, or to be more accurate, unconditional ceasefire. And it's not only Israel that is upset at anybody calling for a ceasefire. The United States is also said it categorically precludes any ceasefire in this conflict. Britain says it's not interested in a ceasefire. It wants to continue with the bombing of Gaza. At least that's the implication of it from Rishi Sunak. So you have all the leading Western powers here doing exactly what they did with Ukraine. No ceasefire, no peace negotiations. Just keep the war going a little bit longer while the bodies pile up. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Thank you, Patrick. Five past five. Good morning. Welcome to Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. We're back in a moment with weather, and then we'll look at the front pages of the mainstream media. If a guy deals drugs when he goes to jail when he's younger, okay, when he talks to the younger men, he'll say, stay away. And you, you, you literally can see, like, interviews in prison of men talking about this. They'll say, hey, young guys, do not go down that path. You don't have to do that. But older women will justify doing it for younger women. Older men will say... Hey, that's a bad path. Don't go down. They won't justify and say, no, you have to sell drugs. You have to commit crimes. No, they'll give the men the right information. Now, some men will take that advice and some won't. They can't really help who does, but at least they have the correct information. All right, they have the correct information. Thank you, Pearl. Now you can find her at Pearl, Pearls of Wisdom, I call her, Pearly Things, I think it is, and she's on YouTube. Let's look at the forecast and also the extremes and the temperatures right across the main centres of New Zealand. First of all, the extremes, we've got Napier on 20.5 degrees. 20.5 is quite high. Uh, the lowest is Lumsden, 0.3 degrees of temperature there. And the windiest place to be is Castle Point with 61 kilometres of wind blowing through there. Uh, Banks Peninsula, you've got 6.9 millimetres of rain falling at the moment and the temperature's now right across New Zealand. Stewart Island's on 2 degrees. Invercargill has 3 degrees along with the Needham. Uh, De Queenstown has 2 degrees. France Joseph's on 5. Westport 10. Nelson 12. Timaru 4. Dunedin 3. Chatham Island's 14. Christchurch 8. Blenheim's on 12 degrees along with Wellington. Masterton as well is on 12 degrees. Palmerston North 11 degrees this morning. Napier 21, Taupo 15 along with Rotorua, New Plymouth 13, Gisborne 18, Tauranga 17, Hamilton is on 17 and Auckland is also on 17, Wangarei 16 and Kaitaia 17 degrees so it's quite warm in the far north. 
All right, the short forecast, there are warnings and watches in force for heavy rain and strong winds and also heavy snow. For Northland, Auckland, uh, Coromandel Peninsula and the Bay of Plenty, a period of rain this morning clearing for most this afternoon. For Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, also, uh, yeah, just Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, a few spots of rain this morning, otherwise mainly fine weather. Waikato to Wellington, including the central high country and the Wairapa, patchy rain, easing to fine spells, isolated showers from the afternoon. For Buller, Westland, showers with possible thunderstorms, snow down to 200 metres this morning and gradually clearing from the south. For Nelson, Marlborough, Canterbury, scattered rain or showers clearing this evening. Snow to 300 metres for a time. Only isolated showers in Nelson. Otago, Southland and Fiordland, showers some heavy with possible thunderstorms and snow to near sea level. Showers easing this evening. And finally for the Chatham Islands, rain developing this morning. Easing to showers later on this afternoon. The extended forecast for tomorrow, Saturday... For the North Island, mostly fine, but isolated showers in the east and north. For the South Island, Saturday, mostly fine, but a few showers in the south. Sunday, for the North Island, mostly fine weather, with rain developing in the north, possibly heavy. For the South Island on Saturday, mainly fine, Sunday rather, mainly fine, but areas of high cloud and isolated showers in the south. And Monday looks like it's going to be rain spreading throughout, uh, possibly heavy in the north and east. And uh, that's the North Island, South Island, mainly fine weather with areas of high cloud and isolated showers in the south, cloud increasing in the north and east. All right, we'll be back with the front pages of the main publications, the uh, mainstream media. It's nine past five. We'll be back shortly. I received an email from the Department of Health with a link to the CDC advising me as a physician that they were going to adjust the way death certificates were completed. What did adjust death certificates mean? They said in this document, if you think that COVID-19 was a contributing condition, you can put it down as a cause of death. And I said, no, there's a box two on a death certificate called contributing conditions. That's where you put contributing conditions. If it's emphysema, if it's asthma, influenza, we put it in the contributing conditions box. We were being told with this disease, we could put it as a cause of death. Ten past eight, Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards, and we go to news, Radio New Zealand news. Schools, residents in lockdown as police hunt the main, that's the United States of America, main shooting suspect. The gunman is a former soldier and a trained firearms instructor and a recent patient at a mental health centre. The death toll may be as high as 22. Also, proposed RAM raid law leads nowhere good, according to the Children's Commissioner. The Deputy Children's Commissioner believes an amendment to the Crimes Act will send young people down the wrong track and a staffer for 111 calls about the terrorist manifesto just days into the job. Staffer who dealt with the first 111 call about the Christchurch terror attacks was on their third or fourth shift. An inquest has heard. Vanuatu's Prime Minister, Cyclone Lola, damage from the air. He surveys it, rather, and uh, he is the, uh, what does he say here? Vanuatu has been hit by three cyclones in eight months. The latest has affected more than 10,000 households and destroyed some along the schools, along with schools. And uh, in a moment, we'll come back with the News Hub and see what they've got to say. I don't make money from China. 
You do. I don't make money from Ukraine. You do. I don't make money from Russia. You made three and a half million dollars, Joe. They even have a statement. We have to give 10% to the big man. You're the big man, I think. Your son said we have to give 10% to the big man. Joe, what's that all about? Was anything about those relationships inappropriate or unethical? Nothing was unethical. Here's what the deal. I did my job impeccably. Not one single solitary thing was out of line. I hear they paid him 183000 a month. Listen to this. And they gave him a $3 million upfront payment. All right. It's terrible. 12 past five, and we're at the front page of News Hub now. And uh, silence from Luxon, our Prime Minister. Seymour over the Peters March 15 tweet. And uh, in rugby... Foster Savia leads Kiwi contingent for the 2023 World Cup rugby nominations. The United States, of course, they've got the uh, at least 22 people dead in the U.S. shooting. Suspect is on the run. Christchurch shooting, a call to the terrorist. The coroner refuses the mosque attack victims' request to not call the gunman Mr. He wants him to be called the ter- terrorist. And in Auckland, the Auckland councillors have rejected the Maori wards. And in Rugby World Cup, Springbok recalls Superboot Pollard to face Auckland in the World Cup final and the name 7-1 bench split. Australia, a woman has a heart attack, an elderly woman. Uh, She dies while escaping the Queenstown bushfires. Sexual harassment, a problem survey reveals growing sexual harassment in the workplace. Apparently 38% of women uh, have experienced sexual harassment and 30% of men. And in Auckland, a protester who threw tomato juice at Posey Parker fails to get charges dismissed. Rugby World Cup, uh, they clear Springbok hooker Monabi to face the All Blacks despite racism claims. And that is the front page of News Hub. We'll be back with stuff in just a moment. San Francisco is the armpit of the world. You've got bad management of the state of California, and then you've got bad management of the city. You combine bad management at both levels, you get a shithole. That place gone to shit. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a rat hole. I don't understand how it's still operating right now. Well, it's not. The hotels are pulling out. All the drugstores are pulling out. Crime has just gone rampant. In San Francisco? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a write-off. You need a tank to go to work there. You need a bulletproof yeah. vest. 13 past 5 on the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards and we're at Stuff now and text, the front page, the main story is a text uncovers incestuous relationship between father and daughter. A young woman has been estranged from her father since birth but now they later rekindle their relationship. It led to sharing of sexual fantasies. Good grief. Hawke's Bay rugby player admits drunk driving. A professional rugby player drove drunk after celebrating his team winning the Ranfurly Shield, which they broke in half, didn't they? At a party at someone's flat. And uh, so he is wanting to have the charges dropped. Firefighters injured in a blaze in Auckland Industrial Building. Two firefighters were injured as they worked to put out a fire at a factory. One suffered an arm injury and the other uh, heat stress. Uh, spike in New Zealand refugee claims applications up by hundreds in a year. A big increase in asylum claims, particularly from India, Malaysia and China, is another sign our under fire immigration system is being exploited, some immigration staff say. Police name Taipa crash victim. The fatal motorcycle crash happened on State Highway 1 on Friday. And I better just tell you who that person is because it says it names him. So the person died in a motorcycle crash that highway one near Tai Happy's rather, not Taipa, Tai Happy. 
Police have named him. He's 27-year-old Java Sinisa from Mount Eden, Auckland. Police spokesman concerned the crash happened at 20 to 4 on Friday, October the 20th. And uh, Spike, yeah, we've got all that. And that is the front page for, yes, the latest page for stuff. We'll be back with the Jerusalem Times in just, uh, just one moment, please. One moment. There are 2,000 men in the world at the moment that can run 100 metres faster than the greatest sprint, female sprinter of all time. Mm. 2,000 1,500 of the top male tennis players can beat Serena Williams. Yeah. So if even one of them decides to, to become identified, all you have to do, you don't have to fully transition or go through any surgery or anything like that. You just have to say, I identify as a woman. You need you to have, be on hormones. You have hormonal treatment to reduce your testosterone levels to the required level, mm. but you physically remain the same, and then you can compete in the women's yeah. sport. There is nothing fair or equal about allowing transgender women who were born to male biological bodies to compete against women. All right, it is um, 16 minutes past five here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. The United Nations, we're at the, uh, the J-Post too, jpost.com, the Jerusalem Post. United Nations General Assembly is expected to call for a ceasefire to the Gaza war in resolution state, a slate for adoption on Friday, which does not condemn Hamas for the October 7th attack when over 1,400 people were killed and 220 were taken hostage. The resolution was submitted by Jordan, an Israeli regional ally since 1994, which also has strong relationship with the Palestinian Authority and has been a bitter opponent of the IDF aerial bombings of Gaza targeting Hamas. It's not carpet bombing. It's targeting Hamas. And for the uh, since October the 7th, the government has had the media barely mentioning the West Bank. For the 2022-2023 until October the 7th, there's no question there's uh, Israel's greatest security challenge was coming from the West Bank. The comparison to earlier years, more, that more Israelis have been killed by West Bank terror than at the summer of 2023, than any other prior to the West Bank terror since the second Infidada almost 20 years ago. And uh, a delegation from Hamas, the terrorist group that controls Gaza, is currently visiting Moscow. Russia Foreign Ministry spokesman Maria Zakharova told the weekly briefing on Thursday without providing any further details. Russia's state-run RIA news agency, quoting a source from the Palestinian delegation, said senior Hamas members Abuk Mazuk was among those visiting Moscow. Russia has ties with all key players in the Middle East, including Israel, Iran and the Palestinian Authority. And Israel has refused to let in fuel with the midshipment saying it could be seized by Hamas. That's the reason for that. United Nations agency, agency providing Palestinian Gazans in civilians rather in Gaza warned it may have to shut down operations shortly if no fuel reaches the enclave amid an increasing desperate need for shelter, water, food and medical services. The United Nations Agency for Palestinian Refugees said it urgently needed fuel to maintain life-saving humanitarian operations in the Islamist ruled uh, enclave and has been under Israeli it has been under Israeli bombardment, strategic bombardment for almost 3 weeks. And just recently, over 500 international journalists have been briefed at the Starot Communications Centre in Starot, established a communication uh, in collaboration with the Diaspora Affairs and Combating Anti-Semitism Ministry, the Government Press Office and the Starot Municipality. 
The centre offers insights into the Swords of Iron, that's the operation, uh, at the October 7th Hamas-initiated massacre. The facility, equipped with advanced media technologies, has been a hub for interviews with affected families, government officials and diplomats from 40 countries. IDF works to repair Gaza border installations. Various branches within the Israeli Defence Force have made strides in a joint effort to repair areas of the border fence and clear ordnance from the area and IDF, a spokesman said on Thursday. During the past few weeks, we've been establishing the surveillance system under the threat and task-oriented and determined manner, according to Brigadier General Ofar Abram, command of Battalion 414. Our forces are constantly working to repair the assets, locate the enemy and destroy it. And several residents of Malolot Tashiaba, that's the northern Israel town near the Lebanon border, arrived at Galilee Medical Centre and uh, their homes were, and now the whole page has just gone on me, so I'll just have to scroll down. It's got one of those reef automatic refreshes, so it sort of catches you unawares. So see if I can get down and find out where I was. Yes, so several residents there. What does it say here? Uh, there's been an attack. They're injured. They've been injured. Five adults ranging from 34 to 65 years of age and two children aged 5 and 11. These are Israelis. All of the uh, individuals have suffered from shock as well as minor physical injuries as a result of smoke inhalation. All seven were released from hospital with the exception of the 66-year-old man. And an hour ago, Israeli and Palestinians equally deserve to live side by side in safety, dignity and peace, according to US President Joe Biden. The United States and France are separately pushing for a revival of two-state peace process processes after an end of the Gazan war. Israelis and Palestinians equally deserve to live side by side in safety and dignity. I've just repeated myself there, haven't I? Okay, and the um, Hamas head of IDS intelligence, former head of IDS intelligence, I should say, strategic goal is to revoke Hamas's military capabilities. The strategic goal to revoke Hamas's military capabilities, according to Major General in Reserve Amos Yadlin, he's a former head of the intelligence branch, he said in an interview with Army Radio on Wednesday, Yadlin emphasised the US is 100% behind us on this objective. On the topic of delay on the anticipation ground inva- anticipated ground invasion, Yadlin stated the delay on the ground invasion is not because of American pressure. He provided clarity, um, mentioning two pivotal reasons. One is to try before the step to do humanitarian. What is One is to try before the step to do humanitarian step. That's an interesting sentence. Step of the last return of the children. Nine-month-old baby children. Okay, and then it disappears. All right, so sorry about that. Uh, the IDF and Shin Bet have killed. These are intelligence. Uh, I think Shin Bet is like their intelligence um, security force, as far as I know. Sort of like Mossad, I think. Um, they've killed and the head of the rocket firing in the northern uh, Khan Kanus. What have they done? They've killed the head. Oh, okay. That's very good. According to a statement from the IDF, the, uh, the Israeli Air Force fighter jets eliminated the commander. His name was Hassan al-Abudah, and he was directed by the intelligence information of Shin Bet. That operation, I should say. 
And uh, Israel, uh, Netanyahu, staying in the US, billionaire Jerusalem Villa Israeli report, really? Netanyahu's staying in US billionaire. Okay, we'll have a look at that in a moment. So that is um, the Jerusalem Post there. And uh, when I come back, we'll have a look at some of the other Israeli newspapers and see what they've got to say about what's going on today. Let's try to stay focused on one false claim at a time, if we can, because we might get bogged down. Okay. So you said, you actually started by saying that blocking puberty, which is chemical castration of a child. Just as one example, yeah. Yeah, is life-saving. It can be. How do you know? Because there are children who have been suicidal that have had these interventions made. What children? How do you, how do you know? How, how many children have had that done personally, and then I are still suicidal? Me personally, I haven't met enough trans children to answer that question. You, okay. But I know you that the making, research exists. You're making this statement. You're stating it as a fact in front of all these people. There must be a reason. There must be something that you encountered that, that led you to this rather radical conclusion that to save a child's life, you have to chemically castrate them. Not Lupron, no, no, sir. Okay. Well, that is what you just said. The drugs we give to kids for, for puberty blockers, so-called puberty blockers, originally are, are cancer drugs used to treat prostate cancer. They're also used to chemically castrate sex offenders and child rapists. Now we give them to physically healthy kids. You're saying that we need to do that or they will die. That's right. There we go. I think that's Matt Walsh, isn't it? 25 past five, and now we go to the Times of Israel. And their main story is the IDF tanks, troops push into Gaza in limited raid ahead of the ground offensive. Military says it struck Hamas sites. Operatives in long-range target raid before run, uh, returning infantry to Israel's side of the border as larger ground assault awaits. And uh, as the ground war looms, uh, Kafar Azar residents, that's, uh, they rally outside the military headquarters for hostage return. They're not happy. Survivors of the kibbutz massacre gather in Tel Aviv. And it's just redrawn on me. The Israeli news websites have this habit of um, redrawing continuously. So now their front page story says the rocket barrage targeting Tel Aviv area as IDF strike kills Hamas deputy chief. Nine Arab nations, including Israeli allies, slam Jerusalem uh, to the United Nations. Tanks, troops briefly foray into northern Gaza overnight and Hamas officials arrive in Moscow for talks. And uh, so now I'll see if I can get back. Here we go. This is the ground war looms. Kafar Azar, residents rally outside the military. That's what we were up to, weren't we, before we were rudely interrupted. Survivors of the kibbutz massacre gather in Tel Aviv to say that they've been abandoned by the government. Uh, the IDF raises numbers kidnapped in October to 228. That was October 7th, the massacre. And protocols for the treatment of freed captives issued after the Levitch pressure is slammed. Not sure what that's about. Poll campaign to return the Holocaust Ecuador, 75 taken hostage by Hamas. Poll's campaign for return of Holocaust Ecuador of 75-year-old taken by hostage, uh, for hostage, um, or by hostage by the Hamas. Oh, gosh. Okay, so pro-Hamas sentiment shocks European Jews, rekindling fears about their future. That's not so good, is it? Surveillance soldiers warned of Hamas activity on the Gaza border for months before October the 7th. Apparently, survivors of the massacre of the IDF base say that they passed information up the chain of command on digging, mapping, training near the fence long line before the mass onslaught, but were ignored. Oh dear, that's not so good. And uh, so that's the front page there of the uh, publication called The Times of Israel. We'll have a look at uh, another, some more Israeli news in just a moment. 
So a lot of the wives are triggered on this app, saying I'm young, inexperienced, don't know what I'm talking about. But I listen to what the men say every single day through consultations, through what I do for work, YouTube videos made about you guys. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just letting you know a lot of you are shitty wives. Did you know that one in four marriages are sexless? How are you a good wife if you don't even sleep with your husband? On top of that, we're not loyal anymore. Women leave 70 to 80% of the time, 90% of the time if we're college educated. How are you a good wife if you're not loyal? 26 past five at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. The Israeli, the Israeli killed Hamas leader, uh, who was part of the planning of the massacre. And uh, that's the deputy head, and that's according to the... He was also the intelligence directorate who planned the massacre together with Yahar Sawar. He was killed in an airstrike, so they're really getting into it, aren't they? Also, the heavy barrage... This is, oh, by the way, the Israeli national news we're looking at here now. Heavy barrage on central Israeli buildings hit the Petak Tikva. That is, according to Israel National News. Under fire, the IDF is restoring the observation posts... Hamas attack does not present uh, represent Islam. I wonder who that is, according to President Herzog. Okay. And an eight-year-old receives a liver transplant, meets with her family. This is all just front-page headlines. Shares, uh, shares of the horrors. Share the horrors that you see with the world. That's what the Israelis want you to do because it's been covered up and they want you to um, share what has actually happened in Israel because the mainstream media aren't reporting it. They are focused on the um, uh, over uh, sort of um, what's happening in Gaza, and a lot of it is Pallywood. It's just um, absolute nonsense. It's very strategic, and yes, civilians are being killed, but they are being told to get out, but they can't because Hamas are keeping them there. Uh, they're almost hostages themselves, some of the Palestinians. Okay, so that looks like the front page of the Israeli National News. Nothing. Uh, too much to say there. We'll have a look at the Reuters um, just in just a moment. All right, we'll be back in tech. We've had 200 years to replace fossil fuels and been unable to do it. You know, they come up, well, renewables are going to replace fossil fuels. Well, renewables only generate electricity. Wind generates electricity. Sun generates electricity. Wind turbines, solar panels can manufacture nothing for society. In fact, if you look back at it, all the parts of wind turbines, all the parts of solar panels, it's all made with the derivatives manufactured from crude oil. The basic problem is they don't understand the definition of energy. Electricity can charge your iPhone, but it can't make your iPhone. It can make the defibrillator in the hospital work, but it can't make the defibrillator. You know, take a look in your house. Take a look at your workplace. Take a look at the hospital. Try and identify something that was not made with fossil fuels. That's the problem. There is no backup plan. They're so motivated to go to zero emissions, they're forgetting the one basic fact. All the 6,000 products we have in our daily lives, communications, electronics, the medical industry, on and on and on. It's all made with fossil fuels. It's five past, no, it's not half past five. Half past five exactly, and we go to Reuters now. Judge keeps Donald Trump's $10,000 gag order fine amid civil fraud trial. Reporting from Reuters, the New York judge on Thursday considered the new, ultimately considered, but... What is this? Oh, sorry about that. The uh, New York judge on Thursday reconsidered but ultimately stood by his decision to fine Donald Trump $10,000 for violating a gag order. It's only 10000 That's nothing to him, is it? Uh, barred, that's barred the former U.S. president from speaking publicly about court staff during his civil fraud trial. And the S&P 500 Nasdaq down as earnings roll in investors' assets economic data. 
So that has had uh, choppy trading on Thursday as uh, mega cap stocks remain under pressure while investors keep tabs on the ranging, uh, raging rather quarterly earnings uh, with a mixed bag of data. And prominent Afghan educationalist activist, he's released from uh, by the Taliban. Taliban authorities released a prominent education activist, Matuula Wiza, this week. His organisation said on Thursday, after seven months' detention, it sparked condemnation from the United Nations and rights groups. And in Sweden, the Sweden's immigration agency has decided to expect uh, to expel rather an, an Iraqi man who burned copies of the Quran and uh, the Muslim holy book at the demonstration in recent months in Stockholm. Broadcaster TV4 reported on Thursday. Establishing rules for U.S. companies to follow when reporting environmental risk would help them avoid confusion in trying to use foreign framework, according to Gary Jensler. He's the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, said that earlier today. And lawyers for the FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried, that kicked off the case at his fraud trial on Thursday following 12 days of prosecution testimony, which the former Colleagues of the now bankrupt cryptocurrency exchange said he directed uh, them to divert customer funds to his hedge fund and to tie investors and lenders. Hmm. Uh, yes. And uh, auto workers, Ford auto workers, were set to head back to work after the United Nations Auto Workers Union reached a tentative labour deal with the company late on Wednesday. Shares around the world fell on Thursday as the U.S. Treasury yields lingered near 5%. U.S. economy growth exceeded expectations and companies posted mixed results. Athens, the European Central Bank, left interest rates unchanged as expected on Thursday, snapping an unprecedented streak of 10 consecutive rate hikes while insisting that any talk to cut rates was premature. And finally, the Reserve Bank, the Federal Reserve Board, on Thursday ended the enforcement action on Citigroup 2015 that required the lender to revamp its risk management practices, sending the shares of the lender up 2.1% on morning trading. There you go. I'll be back in a moment. It's 28 to 6. Oh, nothing. Be happy makes you dependent on them. The World Economic Forum mantra that you will own nothing but be happy is a scheme to make humans completely dependent on corporations for each and every daily need, thus giving corporations control over everything. Part of the plan is to do away with autonomy, that all products will become services. In other words, you will rent your clothes, your apartment, things you cook with, your utensils, your plates, everything. In this dystopian future, there are no products that you can own, only services that are rented and delivered using drones from the corporations. This system would make all humans completely dependent on the World Economic Forum-controlled corporations for every basic need. There would be absolutely no autonomy, no freedom, no privacy. And you'll be happy, they say, because they're going to command you to be happy. 26 to 6 here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast and we'll look at the front page. We'll go into a bit more depth with the New Zealand, uh, Radio New Zealand and this is the story of the shooter in the United States. Hundreds of police have found out across the state of Maine in the northeast of the United States hunting for a man they want in connection with a mass shooting at a bar in a bowling alley in the town of Lewiston 
as news outlets reported a death toll ranging from 16 to 22, with dozens more wounded. Officials says there were multiple casualties at the shooting on Wednesday, but declined to give prov- uh, provide figures. State and local police identified Robert R. Card, he's 40-year-old, who reportedly has been committed to a mental hospital facility over the summer as a person of interest in the case. And earlier they posted on Facebook photographs of a bearded man in a brown hoodie with jeans at uh, one of the crime sites holding what appeared to be a semi-automatic rifle in the firing position. And they say this is the main public safety commissioner, Mike Chuck. He told the news conference that we have literally hundreds of police officers working around the state of Maine to investigate the case to locate Card, who is a person of interest. Uh, Police found a white SUV they believe Card drove to the town of Lisbon, uh, and that was at 11 kilometres to the south-east of Shorschuk. Looks like Shorschuk, said police. They were asked to remain... People were asking people to remain indoors in both Lewiston and Lisbon. Several media reports that a main law enforcement bulletin identified Card as a trained firearms instructor and a member of the U.S. Army Reserve who recently reported that he had mental health issues, including hearing voices, probably been on the marijuana as well, and uh, the psychiatric drugs. It also said that he threatened to shoot up a National Guard base Card was also reported to have been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks during the summer of 2023 and subsequently released, said the notice from the Main Information and Analysis Centre. Reuters could not authenticate the bulletin. The Associated Press reported it was circulated to the law enforcement officials. The Army did not immediately respond to requests for information about Card including details on a service record. The bloodshed rocked the largely rural state of Maine by northeast, that's the northeast corner of the U.S. border in Canada. Police said gunfire first broke out shortly after 7pm local time. The bar and the bowling alley were about six and a half kilometres apart. Lewiston is a former textile hub and the town of 38,000 people in the, uh, in the county, about uh, 56 kilometres north of Maine's largest city, Portland. A recreational centre, a bowling alley, a neighbourhood bar, places of, that Americans frequent and should feel safe. These are the crime scenes of multiple shootings tonight. In Maine, said Chris Brown, president of Bradley, uh, a gun safety advocacy group, in a statement. Maine lacks several major types of gun safety laws, including assault weapons regulations, universal background checks and red flag laws that allow law enforcement to temporarily disarm people legally deemed dangerous, according to Bradley. Now, the other thing that they're all missing, it's a mental health issue. It's not a gun control issue, but they always like to push the gun control thing, don't they? Okay, so let's now look at another story from Radio New Zealand in a little bit more detail. And the proposed RAM raid law could lead nowhere good, according to the Children's Commissioner. Deputy Children's Commissioner believes that the amendment to the Crimes Act will send young people down the wrong track. The bill would allow RAM raid sentences for up to 10 years in jail and give police the power to prosecute children as young as 12. It is a Labour government's bill that has been announced in the lead-up to the election and submissions are on a closed uh, it closed on it last week. Deputy Children's Commissioner Dr. Claire Ackmad, she said, although the ram raids were very threatening and frightening uh, for two communities, 
there was no evidence the bill would address their worries. She said there's no evidence that this bill will actually address some of the key concerns that communities in Parliament have. In fact, evidence shows that responses to offending that safeguard and uphold the rights of children and young people are actually most likely to be affected in responding to crime and preventing youth offending, she said. The bill took a punitive approach which sought to punish children further by forcing them into criminal, the criminal justice system. She said, all the evidence is very clear right now that that leads nowhere good. This is not a track that we wish to send our children and young people down. The bill was introduced in the heat of an election period, she said. Ahmed, she said that the data showed that young offending had been tracked down to over the last 10 years, but there had been a spike in some particular types of youth offending, such as ram raiding, since COVID. It was a response, in response to uh, what had she, or rather, it was a response that had been experienced around the world, she said. That is true. That's what I've noticed. And so these young people came from households that are not well resourced, and many have experienced intergenerational uh, trauma, and children did not feel the sense of belonging in their community, she said. Uh, one such program which has discussed, which was the, um, the Kaitahi Te Wakaaro in Manurira, which provided a wraparound support for children and their family. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think they're being put up to it by the gangs, don't you reckon? These young kids. I think you've got to go to the, go to the source of the matter. Now we'll have a look at another story: the Christchurch terror attack inquest. Uh, no police sent to Linwood Islamic Centre despite a 111 call. A 111 call uh, taker was just two days into the job when a parliamentary staffer called to alert police about the Christchurch terror attacks manifesto. The call taker, who has name suppression, had six uh, completed a six-week training uh, course and was on their third or fourth stint. Uh, 15th of March 2019, where 51 people were killed during the attacks at Al Nora Mosque and Linwood Islamic Centre by Brendan Tarrant, a paramilitary staffer. Sorry, beg your pardon. There was actually a paramilitary, um, a paramilitary operation happening, as far as I know, according to Counterspin Media, happening that week. Everyone was all dressed up and walking around in sort of army-style uniforms, sort of combat-looking. And uh, so that was very interesting as well. But according to this, the staffer made the 111 call to police at 1.40, 20 to 2 in the afternoon, just one minute after receiving an email with the terrorist manifesto, which had been forwarded by another staffer in the Prime Minister's office. The parliamentary staffer scanned the manifesto during the call and checked out information, including the terrorist's name, age, weapon, uh, that he was intending to use and location of the attack. The staffer also told the call taker that he thought the email had come from just a nutter uh, and later said, uh, said the more he read it, the more it appeared to be a crank. As the information from the parliamentary staffer started coming through, the call taker alerted her supervisors who listened on at, to the call and helped her determine how best to deal with it. Along with her supervisor's help, she categorised the event as an NATSEC, a National Security Priority 2. The call taker said that she chose the, the, in, the NATSEC as the call had come from a parliamentary staffer. It had come from, if it had come from anyone else, she said, she may have labelled it 
as an intimidation threats call. Despite that, the parliamentary staffer relayed to her in the phone call the call taker told the court where there was nothing said during the call that would have made her think that it was a high-priority call. Ah, okay, that's uh, that's interesting to read, a bit confusing. All right, so that is uh, the Radio New Zealand, and uh, maybe we can have a look at some stories on News Hub and see if there's anything there of interest. When I started to realize, like, wow, freedom's a polarizing concept for some reason. Thought this was America. Is this America? It is? Okay. World's different than I thought. So my fear was, I'm going to... I could lose everything. I could lose my audience. I could lose my business. But I knew, especially having a son come into the world, I am imprinting something on his beautiful, innocent, fragile psyche and heart. I'm imprinting the man that I am, or I'm imprinting a hollow shell of the man that I refuse to be. And I knew in that moment, I'm willing to risk losing everything to do that. I would rather pick up cans on the side of the highway to feed my family than to live out of alignment with my truth and betray my son. There we are, quarter to six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. The um, We're going to News Hub now and uh, New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters is doubling down on his claim for Prime Minister Dame Jacinda Ardern. She concealed details about the Christchurch terror attack. On social media, he said the country only discovered on Wednesday that her office had received information about the attacks before it happened. In reality, Ardern released the details two days after the attack. The Islamic community has slammed as political posturing, but Peter's potential coalition partners are refusing to comment. March 15th was one of New Zealand's darkest days, marked by political unity. We want to ensure that this is a unified political response that is beyond politics, Peters said at the time. He was the Deputy Prime Minister when the attacks happened and he stood by Jacinda Ardern in that response until now. The ongoing coronial inquest into the attacks on Wednesday heard evidence about the gunman's manifesto being sent to the Prime Minister's office. Peters followed up that with a tweet claiming, We waited until today to find out for the first time that the Prime Minister's office received information about the March 15th terrorist attack before the massacre took place. Jacinda Ardern should be called to the hearing and asked to explain this appalling lack of transparency to the New Zealand public, let alone the Deputy Prime Minister and the Government Coalition partner. This was a crisis event. To keep the basic information hidden is not only unacceptable, it is now clearly indicative of how the office worked. The next question is, who else inside Cabinet knew and said nothing. But just uh, but Peters, he got this totally wrong, because just two days after the attack, Jacinda Ardern told New, uh, New Zealand, I was one of more than 30 recipients of a manifesto that was mailed out nine minutes before the attack took place. The detail, also uh, in the Royal Commission of Inquiry into the attacks, Abza Razak, a former federation, uh, he's a spokesman for the Federation of Islamic Association of New Zealand. He said that there was a lack of black and white. And, uh, oh no, he, rather, he said it's black and white. He said it's obvious that Winston Peters hasn't even read the Royal Commission. And uh, that's uh, pretty bad for a senior statesman, he said. The Prime Minister's office also urged Peters to remove his tweet and post a correction. But Peters insisted 
He instead chose to double down, posting late on Wednesday night, For those political apologists and feckless media, there is an existing transcript of the phone call made by the Prime Minister to the Deputy Prime Minister at the vital time of the crisis when a terrorist had just massacred innocent people. Not once were there were we transparently informed of this information, such as the phone call to her office made to the police, despite the obvious expectation and clear opportunity. To excuse it because it was known at a public press conference the next day instead of of information that should have been shared with the Deputy Prime Minister and the Coalition partner the day before is bizarre as it is biased. Peters then tweeted on Thursday afternoon his initial comment about what the location of the attacks. What is more important, asked Razaz. Oh, now he's going starting. So that's that story there. But National Party leader Christopher Luxon in New Zealand uh, of, of of New Zealand, what does this say? National Party leader Christopher Luxon's New Zealand, uh, where he's trying to form a government that may include New Zealand first, there was silence. That's an interesting sentence. Act leader David Seymour also refused to say a peep, while Peters wouldn't be interviewed. The last Kiwis have heard from the man about to lead them was a tweet about the All Blacks on Wednesday night. That's Luxon. Luxon on Wednesday morning said all was going well with the coalition talks. He says, I think it's important that we get good foundation of good chemistry, good trust and good relationships in place. So he doesn't want to get involved with that one, does he? Yes, but Peters is doubling down. Another story here at News Hub, and that is Auckland, quite different to Wellington. Wellington, have they are going to include Maori seats, but Auckland has said no. According to this story, here at the at News Hub, Auckland won't get a Maori ward. Uh, that's uh, on its council until at least 2028. Followed a vote by councillors on Thursday afternoon. After an impassionate debate, councillors on the governing body voted 11-9 against the proposal by councillor Alfie Filipina to introduce one or two new Maori seats to the 2025 election. Instead, they voted 13-8 for the proposed proposal by Wayne Brown, that's the mayor, to carry out more research before they revisited the issue. The decision means Maori seats won't be introduced until at least 2028. Only two councillors publicly stated they were against the idea of Maori seats. Public submissions from people from Auckland were largely against the proposal, but the majority of Maori were in favour. Councillor Mickey Lee, who voted for Brown's proposal, said the mayor's approach was a sensible compromise under the circumstances. He said that we went out to the people of Auckland and said, have your say, and 68% said they didn't want Maori seats, as well as an independent Maori statutory board. Lee claimed further engagement was required with Maori because of the, of the submissions. It wasn't clear what the majority of Maori wanted. Many of those who were opposed said that there, there was also, it was better to wait and find out the makeup of the next central government. Disappointed councillors said the governing body was simply kicking the can down the road. And speaking to reporters, Filipina said, I'm just pissed off. But it's what it is. Uh, as my late mother said, go with the flow, son, and I'm going to do that. And that's what he said. Okay, so that is that one there. Rugby World Club, they, they clear that Springbok fellow that um, said the C word, apparently. Let's have a look at him. He's going to be playing on Saturday, Sunday, I think it is, isn't it, the game? Going to be Sunday. 10 to 6-2, by the way. 
Uh, Andre Pollard, who kicked South Africa to an emphatic victory at the last World Cup rugby final, will start again in this year's decider with another controversial 7-1 split among the forwards and backs on the bench on the uh, bench for Sunday's decider. New Zealand time against... Yes, against New Zealand. That's the uh, Springboks against us. Mm. Pollard, he scored, scored 22 points when South Africa beat England 32-12 in the 2019 final in Japan, and he replaces Mani Libok uh, in the first five, and it goes on there. Pollard, he's 29, was brought in on the Libok, uh, for Libok after 30 minutes of the semi-final in one of the several drastic substitutions made by the box coaches to get themselves back on track in their match in the England, England match, wasn't it? Okay, that wasn't uh, what I wanted to bring you, I thought it was something else. No, that is not the one I was after. The one I was after was this one, I think. Yes, it's about the um, the fellow with the, uh, he likes to say the C word, a South African hooker. Bongi Manabi, he's been cleared to play on Sunday's Rugby World Cup final at New Zealand time after insufficient evidence was found that he used discriminatory language towards England flanker Tom Curry. Manabi, the only specialist hooker in the Springbok squad, as they prepare to face New Zealand in, at Paris, was investigated after Curry made the allegation during the first half of last week's semi-final, which South Africa won 16-15. Any allegations of discrimination is taken extremely seriously by the World Cup rugby, it said, having considered all the available evidence, including match footage, audio and evidence from both teams, the governing body has dis- determined that there is insufficient evidence at this time to proceed with charges. Therefore, the matter has been deemed closed until additional evidence comes to light. Rugby World Cup has added it accepts that Curry made the allegation in good faith and that there is no suggestion that the allegation was deliberately false or malicious. Audio and video footage posted on social media showed Curry telling Kiwi referee Ben O'Keefe he believed discriminatory language has been used. No action was taken during the match. England subsequently highlighted online abuse aimed at Curry as uh, as the review dragged on through the week. Oh, get over it. <laughs> I call your names, big deal. I wouldn't have been worried about it. I think just like a storm in a teacup, isn't it? They call you a white sea all the time. Who cares? We don't care. It's just a word, isn't it? Sticks and stones, mate. Forget about it. Alan, and now at Foster... Um, Rugby World Cup, uh, Ian Foster. It's uh, Adi Sevilla, the lead Kiwi contingent with contingent with uh, 2023 World Cup Rugby Awards nomination. So, okay, so Ian Foster and Adi Sevilla, they lead the way for the All Black at the World Rugby World Cup nomination for Coach of the Year and Men's 15 Player of the Year, respectively. Uh, with the Rugby World Cup Awards to be held on Monday, New Zealand time, one day after the Rugby World Cup final between the All Blacks and South Africa, a healthy number of Kiwis will contend awards. Sevilla, who's 30, is online to be named as the men's 15th player of the year uh, after proving himself to be one of the most important players for the All Blacks and one most considered player of the world. One of the, one of the most what? One of the most oh, consistent, I beg your pardon. The loose forward will contend with Irish Kiwi Bunsi Aki, France's captain Antoinette Dupont, and South Africa's colossus Eben Ibsbeth. 
Meanwhile, Foster's redemption arc after nearly losing his job in 2022 has taken another step with a nomination for Coach of the Year. In his final session or season with the All Blacks before Scott Robertson takes over the reins in 2024, Foster can finish on the ultimate high with both a World Cup win, medal and the award for Coach of the Year. Foster faces competition from Ireland's Andy Farrell, South Africa's Jacques Nebenani, uh, Ninaba and Fiji Simon Rawalui. Is it Rawalil? Rawalui, yeah. Two more All Blacks are also in the front for honours, front line, and they are the winger Mark Talia and prop Tamati Williams. They're nominated for the World Breakthrough Player of the Year. There we go. Meanwhile, New Zealand's success in the World Seven Series has also been uh, reflected with four players nominated for the men's and Women's Player of the Year awards. There we go. Okay, so there we go. And we oh, we had that um, woman had a heart attack, didn't she, in Australia? Good grief. Terrible elderly woman. She is an elderly woman. She suffered a heart attack and subsequently died while evacuating the Queenstown bushfires. Two lives and 16 homes have so far been lost in one of the state's worst bushfires in decades. The heart of the disaster, firefighters have been driving through fiery hell on the front line. It's intimidating and dangerous and deadly. Locals escaped with their lives as the fire front moved closer to the homes. Firemen told us to get out, get out of here because it'll be five minutes, according to one resident. She said, I would not wish this on my worst enemy, said Mandy Eastwood. She said she'll never forget the sound of the roaring fire. She said it sounded like ten freight trains at the same time. She said it was horrendous. Wild winds were whipping up the blaze, which was becoming erratic and, uh, uh, yeah, struggle to control. Goodness grief. That's, um, imagine being in that. I'd hate to be in that. I can't imagine what that would be like, actually. Uh, now I've lost my place. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Chaps, where are we? Forgot where I was. Oh, well. No, everything's gone haywire. Here we go. Sexual harassment. Oh, that's a bit weird, isn't it? I mean, gosh, why do women wear lipstick and short skirts if they don't want to be sexually harassed? Oh, you all say. Well, that's what it is. I mean, Jordan Peterson said, you know, uh, I think he as much as said, if you're not um, selling, don't advertise. I mean, why do women wear lipstick? Well, it's to show sexual harassment. Harassment, sorry, sexual arousement. That's what they, that's why they wear it. They, they might not realise that they are, but that's that's the whole thing behind it. It's to it's to attract the opposite sex. It's very interesting. Uh, anyway, a new research here by Massey University Business School has revealed one third of Kiwis that they surveyed have experienced workplace sexual harassment in the past six months. The study found suggestive stories, sexist comments, and crude sexual remarks to be the most common forms of harassment, impacting well-being and overall productivity. It's showing a problem in New Zealand workplace, according to lead author Jared Ha. He told NewsHub, the survey involved more than a 1,000 workers across the range of genders. How many genders are there? There's only two. The range of six, a range of genders, good grief. Um, ages, cities and jobs. They found that 38 point, sorry, 35.8% of women reported incidents of sexual harassment at work, compared with 30% of men. Female respondents also reported higher frequency of harassment. He believes the impact is far-reaching. It directly impacts performance, he explained. The study found that the most common form of sexual harassment was the telling of suggestive stories, accounting 
for 33% of reports. It was followed by sexist comments, making up 25%, and crude sexual remarks, 23%. According to the, 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 according to the data, there was little uh, difference across job sectors, but when it came to positions within the company, female managers were the most vulnerable, with more than half reporting sexual harassment. There we go. Okay, so we've got TNT Radio News coming up uh, shortly, and uh, so that's that one there. I don't think there's anything else to... Uh, talk about uh, no I think I've just about done all of those ones on the front page of News Hub and um, oh that's just a horrendous story over its stuff the text uncovered incestuous relationship between the father and the daughter I mean it's just like just gives me the heebie jeebies even thinking about it just like how bent can both of them be I mean apparently you know he was 29 and she was when, when he was estranged from her the marriage broke up um, but oh, for goodness' sake! It just um, I just cannot I just cannot understand. That's just absolute sin, isn't it? Just absolute sin. Uh, anyway, so we've got news coming up soon, and I don't think I'll have time to uh, do any more on those. So I'll be back in a moment. Uh, after the news with some weather. Congressman, not the NBC the media, not no, I, most I, American I media. We're talking, I did not say NBC, but, but CNN did. About and I will tell media you... media in it, the Arab world. And I will... CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to... When you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. Are you a U.S. citizen? I am. How's your civics knowledge? Horrible. I have no clue. What civics? Bruh. What three branches do you think about? To hear a replay of this hour, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. The recent surge in hostilities between Israel and Hamas poses a significant challenge to American aspirations for peace in the broader Middle East. On October 20th, President Joe Biden attributed Hamas's attacks on Whoops, we just lost the news, didn't we? Oh, okay, might be able to get it back. Benjamin Netanyahu commanded President Biden, stating, I think under your leadership, Mr. President, we can forge a historic peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. A potential peace accord between Saudi Arabia and Israel would represent a diplomatic milestone, potentially paving the way for other Arab nations to officially recognize Israel. However, Hamas's multi-pronged attack on Israeli territory near Gaza on October 7th has seriously compromised this diplomatic progress. President Biden warned the Chinese Communist Party yesterday not to attack Philippine vessels in the South China Sea, stating that any attack on the U.S. ally would trigger Washington's mutual defense treaty with Manila. 
The warnings come after officials in the Philippines claimed Chinese ships blocked two Philippine vessels on a resupply mission on October 22nd in the highly disputed South China Sea, resulting in two collisions. Speaking at the White House during a joint news conference with Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese, President Biden noted the recent unlawful incidents and warned that the United States would be forced to intervene if Beijing continued to launch its dangerous attacks on the vessels. However, he stressed the United States was not looking for conflict with the CCP. Tucker Carlson sat down with Colonel Douglas McGregor, who laid out a disturbing scenario in which the United States could quickly be pulled into a direct conflict with Iran, Russia and China over Israel's anticipated response to the October 7th Hamas attack. Do you think that we are moving toward war with Iran? <clears throat> yes, I do. And uh, it looks like the chosen destination is indeed Armageddon. There doesn't seem to be any real appreciation for the implications for us and, and frankly, for Europe and the world, as well as the Middle East, of such action. You know, take for an example, just on the economic side, about 20% uh, of the world's oil passes through the Straits of Hormuz every month. Uh, uh, probably 25% of liquefied natural gas. And you're talking about shutting down two to three million barrels uh, a day of oil from Iran. Uh, you know, this entire region is involved in the war. This is not an Iranian monopoly by any stretch of the imagination. But the point is that when we're looking at 10-year Treasury yields up over 5%, and people are increasingly convinced that the Fed has lost control. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says they're pointing out the obvious danger. Now, a number of top independent U.S. policy analysts and military experts have come out opposing the Biden administration's unquestioning backing of Israel in this conflict. And they're pointing out the obvious dangers here. With multiple countries now orbiting this crisis zone, anything that could set off the tinderbox that is the Middle East could lead to a multinational conflagration. In other words, nuclear powers could be drawn in. But the real elephant in the room is the one nuclear power that hasn't declared its nuclear arsenal. And of course, that is the state of Israel. And against all international conventions and treaties, it refuses to declare its own nuclear weapons. So people are naturally worried that it may pull what they call the Samson option if things are looking bleak for Israel in this conflict. And this is the problem. Could this lead to a nuclear war? Would they drag the U.S. in to face Iran? And would Israel deploy its nuclear weapons against Iran? These are problematic questions. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Henningsen. Thanks, Patrick. It's five past six. Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. We'll have weather next. He's got to be scared. He's a human being. He's a man. He's 77. And the power of the federal government, the full power of the federal government has been unleashed against him. A rogue Justice Department is a terrifying thing. And they are, make no mistake about it, out to get him. This guy, Jack Smith, is practically frothing at the mouth to put him behind bars and has the power to do it and is no dope. While that Mar-a-Lago case is going to go before a more Trump-friendly jury down in Florida, this one's not. And it's why he had to bring it. He knows what I know, which is 
the likelihood is that Mar-a-Lago case is going to get delayed beyond November 2024. It was set for May. It's going to get kicked. All Trump has to do is file enough motion practice to get a kick to the, say, the summer of 2024. And then he looks at the judge who is a Trump appointee and says, we're too close to the election. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. All right, seven minutes past six, Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. Let's look at the extremes across New Zealand. Napier has the highest temperature, 20.5. Lumsden's the lowest, 0.3 degrees. Kaikoura, 61 kilometres of wind. Banks Peninsula, 7.4 millimetres of rain. Temperatures across the main centres, zero degrees at Stewart Island, Invercargill 3, along with Dunedin. Timaru, 2. Chatham Islands, 15 degrees. Christchurch, 5. Queenstown, 1. France Joseph, 4. Five in uh, Westport, Nelson 12, and Blenheim is on 10. Wellington 12 degrees, Masterton 11, Napier on 20 degrees, Palmerston North 11, New Plymouth 12 degrees, Taupo 15 along with Rotorua, and uh, Gisborne has 18 degrees, Tauranga 17. Auckland is also on 17 degrees, Whangarei 16, and Kaitaia 17. The short forecast warnings in force are for heavy rain and strong winds, also snow, Northland, Auckland, Coromandel Peninsula and the Bay of Plenty. Periods of rain this morning, clearing for most this afternoon. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay, a few showers and rain this morning, otherwise mainly fine weather. Waikato and Wellington, including the central high country and the Wairapa, patchy rain, easing to fine spells, isolated showers from the afternoon. Buller, Westland and, uh, yes, just Buller and Westland. Showers with possible thunderstorms, snow to 200 metres this morning, gradually clearing from the south. For Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, scattered rain, showering, uh, showers clearing this evening, snow to 300 metres for a time, only isolated showers in the Nelson area. For Otago, Southland and Fiordland, showers, some heavy with possible thunderstorms and snow to sea level, showers easing this evening. And uh, for the Chathams, rain developing in the morning, easing to a few showers later in the day. All right, we'll have a refresh on all the front pages of the fake stream media, and we'll come back and let you know what they're saying. Nine minutes past six. Are you a U.S. citizen? I am indeed. How's your civics knowledge? Horrible. I have no clue. What civics? Bruh. What three branches make up the government? Oh, yeah, no, I can't pass it. What two parts make up Congress? How old do you have to be to be president? I know it's in the 50s. Who runs the executive branch? Let me look that up real quick. Who did we declare independence from? Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> Spain? Great Britain. Oh. Do you guys remember the, the giants, you know, war that we fought? No? Nobody remembers that? How many members of the U.S. House of Representatives are there? Eight. Four. Twelve, twelve, twelve. 435. Wow, wee, it's 10 past 6. Okay, no, nothing much changed on the front pages. The only changes for Radio New Zealand, the all-black team has been named to take on South Africa, the Rugby World Cup final on Sunday. And there's just one change to the all-black starting 15 to take on the uh, on the uh, the box, and that is going to be Brody Retallick. And also he's going to be starting with... Sam Whitelock on the second row and then we've got the school's residents in lockdown as police hunt the main shooting suspect and uh, that's the gunman he's uh, the former soldier and he's trained firearm instructor and uh, recent patient at a mental health centre the death toll may be as high as 22 
And also here in, back in New Zealand, proposed RAM raid law leads nowhere good, according to the Children's Commissioner. The Deputy Children's Commissioner believes that an amendment to the Crimes Act will send young people down the wrong track. And the other top story at Radio New Zealand is the staffer for the 111 call about the terrorist manifesto just days into the job. Staffer who had dealt with the first 111 call about the Christchurch terror attacks was on their third or fourth shift, according to the inquest. And they've got name suppression as well. Okay, now let's move across to News Hub and see if there's anything new there. Just the silence from Luxon, Seymour, over Peters' March uh, 15th tweet. And uh, that's the about the terror attacks. And Ritalik starts over the uh, starts over Whitelock as former uh, All Black side is named for the Rugby World Cup final. They're also talking about the um, shooting over there in the United States. Twenty two dead in the U.S. shooting. Suspect on the run. And uh, don't call him a terrorist. It's the the coroner refuses the mosque attack victims' request not to call Brendan Tarrant Mister, uh, but she's declined that one. Also Auckland Mayor. Now in Auckland, the councillor, they, the councillors, they reject the Maori wards. And uh, what else have we got there? Back in rugby, Foster Savia, the lead to Kiwi contingent with the 2023 World Cup Rugby Awards nomination. And a woman in Australia has died after follow- having a heart attack in the Queensland bushfires. And then we had the sexual harassment, didn't we? Uh, a problem survey reveals that a growing sexual harassment in the workplaces within the last six months, apparently 37 or 30. I think it was 35.8% of women have experienced it and 30% of men. And uh, oh, I don't think I mentioned this. The protester who threw tomato sauce at Posey Parker fails to get charges dismissed. I think I might have mentioned it, but let's look at that in a bit more detail at 13 minutes past six. Um, Ileana Goberstein, she's the pro or he actually, it really isn't it when you think about it. When you boil it down, through tomato sauce, actually, I, when I saw the video, it looked more like they just um, it held it over Posey Parker's head, just poured it all over. It looked like tomato sauce to me, or uh, to, you know, juice. They say juice, but I look, looked a bit like sauce, but who cares? Um, the protester who poured tomato juice over women's rights activists, at least they got it right here, because over at Radio New Zealand, they called her an anti-trans activist, so that's a bit of a change, isn't it? Women's rights activist Posey Parker during the raucous rally. It was a violent rally, a violent rally by leftist uh, transvestites, if you ask me. This was at Auckland's um, Albert Park uh, in March this year. It's failed. She's failed. Or he, <laughs> he has failed to have his charges dismissed. And uh, so Gobenstein was filmed pouring substance over Parker uh, as that, that was... Um, it was called uh, "Let Women Speak." It's so, and they over at Radio New Zealand they called Posey Parker a, um, a, a a trans rights. She was, I think, she said, "What was she now?" Not a trans rights activist. They called her a anti-trans activist. But of course, here at News Hub, they got it right. She's a let, she's a um, let women speak event, and so she's a women's rights activist. That's what she is. Uh, she's this other bird calling her a she. It's a bloke uh, who's not going to have the charges dismissed, uh, charged with two counts of assault. Judge Claire Ryan on Thursday dismissed an application to have the charges thrown out. Of course she wouldn't. I mean, gosh, we all saw it. The judge said that uh, she was satisfied there is a case to answer and the matter should go to trial. Uh, so Golberstein was charged after Let Women Speak supporters and trans rights uh, counter-protesters clashed at Albert Park. Parker was... Well, they didn't clash... Uh, the trans 
rights, transvestites, leftist, uh, just violent they were, far left, trans rights people, they attacked a peaceful women's event. And so it was not a clash. It was uh, they just assaulted people trying to have a women's event in the park, egged on by the media as well. So Parker, she was set to speak at the event and was escorted to Albert Park's rotunda by security. Her security, police stood by and did nothing, according to Counterspin Media. After making it to the stage, Parker was doused with tomato sauce and her speech was drowned out by counter-protests. Well, the, the, the people weren't counter... They weren't... When they say counter, the event wasn't a protest. It was a women's rights meeting. Um, let women speak. That was what it was about. It wasn't for anyone else. For, so for the newspaper to say that there, it was a counter-protest, no, it's not at all. I don't see that as a counter-protest. The scene quickly turned riotous as pushing and scuffles broke out between attendees of Parker's rally. Well, they were just defending her and defending themselves. They were attacked by left, violent left-wing uh, transvestites. That's what it was. Parker was quickly escorted out of the venue by private security, fearing for her life. She thought they were going to kill her. After, and they probably would have too if her security hadn't been there. And police did nothing. Not until she got out to the road. They should have come in they should have been there and made sure that she had security, like we would do for anyone else visiting our country. Just ridiculous. So that's that story. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that's just about all I've got there on that one. Uh, yes, we've covered that. All right, we'll be back in a moment. See what else I can find for you. Karl Marx was a German philosopher and social theorist who lived in the 1800s. He is the co-author of the Communist Manifesto, which has been referred to as the Bible of Communism. His theories of class conflict and dialectical materialism were instrumental in shaping socialist and communist movements worldwide. Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky, Mao Zedong, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, Kim Jong-un, Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro, and many other communist revolutionaries have cited Marxism as the foundation of their political ideologies. Marx rejected all concepts of God, as well as the traditional family. According to members of his own family, Marx was emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive. His wife, Jenny, was plagued by depression, which was compounded by Carl's adulterous impulses and his inability to provide for his children. Despite his privileged upbringing and formal education, Karl Marx was often unwilling to work and instead relied on the financial support of friends and family. Of course, that was the Karl Marx. That's the uh, that's what Jacinda Ardern follows, isn't it? Marxism. She's uh, she was head of the women's uh, what was it now? No, youth, youth, um, socialist youth. She was the president of it there at one stage. <laughs> Unreal, isn't it? And that's what we had as a prime minister. We must have lost our marbles in voting her in because we knew what she was before she even started. Okay, let's have a look at um, the publication called New Zealand News Essentials dot com. Very interesting. They've got a few new stories that have just come out here. Calls for the COVID Royal Commission of Inquiry to expand its scope. And uh, let's just see here. I'll give you the brief on this one. Uh, pervasive ramb- uh, ram- uh, rumblings of adverse effects and excess deaths raise suspicious COVID vaccines uh, to blame. Meanwhile, the Royal Commission of Inquiry, as set up by Labour, seems designed to be 
self-regulatory and also self-congratulatory. ACT and New Zealand First both pledged to expand the inquiry scope. Ultimately, don't we want to know whether COVID vaccines were actually safe and effective and what the government did to determine this? That's the brief on that story there. So I'd get over to NZ News Essentials and check them out. Uh, Also, their next story that they've just released in the last day or so is uh, understanding New Zealand's alarming suicide rates. New Zealand faces alarming rates. Uh, Youth rates are the highest in the OECD. Māori face suicide rates 50% higher, but overall males rate twice as much as females. Having a father growing up may be more important than race uh, determining risk factors. So it's not the fact that they're married, it's more the fact that there's no men in the home. No fathers. Men may be, yeah, uncles and and boyfriends, but no fathers. Family cohesion and healthy lifestyles may be essential for long-term improvement, according to this story there. And are New, Zealand's, are New Zealand and Australia's left-wing establishments creating pushback on identity politics? Uh, the brief for that is that the left say that defeat of Labour in New Zealand with their co-governance push and Australia's The Voice referendum is evidence of disinformation and hate. Hmm. Isn't this just an argument that couldn't, that couldn't be that mainstream voters know that they need to and simply reject divisive policies? Maybe. Uh, have left-wing leaders in both countries simply misread the room and galvanised an inherent resistance? Could be too. Yes, I think it might well be. How about how do Maori's seats work? Part one. This is the brief for it, so I would definitely get over to NZ News Essentials and check it out. Technically, non-Maori can run for Maori's seats, but uh, only Maori can enrol on the electoral roll to vote. Hmm. Census and Maori electoral roll numbers determine the number of Maori seats. Maori electorates are larger in general electorates in terms of area, the same population but the numbers of registered voters per Māori electoral roll is substantially less. Yeah. Did that? Did you understand that? No. Okay. 25 minutes past six. Only healthcare-related workers granted group vaccine exemptions. This was a story that Liz Lambert gave me. She was the first to break it, actually, and she was very nice. She rang me up, and we had a, a, a little interview, and I we heard that yesterday from Liz Lambert, and that was played about three weeks ago on this program and uh, so this is about the um, during the COVID the Ministry of Health they provided over 11,000 significant service disruption that's SSD exemptions that's uh, basically an exemption from getting the biological agent the jab the toxic that's murdering people millions of people all over the world and maiming people but it allowed healthcare workers to remain unvaccinated so-called unvaccinated Unjabbed. Meanwhile, the SSD exemption application from other eligible groups was declined, but it just seemed to be, it was all on the health. That's fascinating because it's obviously top-level people to do with health. They were exempt from it, probably because they knew that it was dangerous and it wasn't safe and effective. Uh, it's not clear who within the health sector received the exemptions. That will be something that we need to find out. New Zealand's first, Winston Peters, says it's evidence of deception and discrimination and just not a conspiracy theory. Well, he's right on that, isn't he? And uh, so that, uh, there's the main stories there. Uh, oh, hang on, we might have another one here for you. Um, 
Yes, I have one more that's recent, and is how will the new government deal with the partisan mainstream media? So Labour, they it was unique in their uh, extraordinary efforts to control media narratives. The incoming national-led government is accused of refusing to engage with the media after a contentious campaign. New Zealand First wants a Royal Commission into the media bias, and much of the media is described as elite, elitist, out of touch, and fanatical in their left-wing views. Those stories from NZ News Essentials, definitely get over there, and also make sure you have a look at The Centrist, which is thecentrist.co.nz. So that's nznewsessential.com and centrist.co.nz. Well, Trump was uh, the first guy that I ever saw who was a sitting president who openly admitted that the military-industrial complex wants you to go to war. Yeah. Like when Eisenhower was resigning, he said it, but Trump actually said that. He said it. In an interview, I think it was with Steve Hilton on Fox. Yeah. Which is just a wild thing to hear, that they might be influenced to yeah. be more inclined. to get, Not not wars when they're necessary, but yeah. like wars that they can justify yeah. for financial reasons. Why should your right to freedom of speech trump a trans person's right not to be offended? Because in order to be able to think, you have to risk being offensive. I mean, look at the conversation we're having right now. You know, like you're certainly willing to risk offending me in the pursuit of truth. Why should you have the right to do that? It's been rather uncomfortable. Well, I'm, I'm very glad I put you on the spot. <laughs> no, but you get my point. It's like you're, you're doing what you should do, which is digging a bit to see what the hell's going on. So and that you, is what you should do. But you're exercising you your freedom of speech to certainly risk offending me. And that's fine. I think more power to you, as far as I'm concerned. You haven't sat there and... I'm just trying, I'm just trying to work that out. I mean... Ha, gotcha. You have got me. You have got me. I'm trying to work that through time. my head. Yeah, yeah, it took a while. It took a while. It did, it did, yeah. It took a while. You have voluntarily... You have voluntarily... <laughs> that got it, isn't it? 24 minutes past six here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast. Let's go to some New Zealand news and look at the um, stories that are, that are a little bit more to do with the different parts of the country and not so much front page. First of all, um, we had that staffer, didn't we, the 111 call about the terrorist manifesto. That was well covered on the front stories. But Gisborne flood risk properties, the list by, has been cut by a 1,000. More than a 1,000 Gisborne properties have been removed from the list of flood risks. Uh, I think that's all to do with managed retreat and sustainable development. And so a little bit later, hopefully before 7 o'clock, we'll hear from Rosa Corey. Uh, she knows all about sustainable uh, development uh, she is very, very good. She, her name is Corey. That's K-O-I-R-E. She's no longer with us, but she was just fantastic in um, spreading, you know, just letting us know about managed retreat, about what that's all about, sustainable development, and basically it just means um, taking taking pr- property away, which is what the the communists want to do anyway, and so they all do now anyway. The um, uh, what have we got? The uh, globalists basically they don't really care whether it's whether you're a fascist or a Nazi or a, or a communist, as long as you do what you, they tell you to do. And so their aim is to remove private property from us, from individuals. And so we'll hear from Rosa Corey a bit later on. Uh, so the, let, actually, let's just look at that story just quickly now. And um, 
Oh no, I'll go through and just give you these headlines to start with. The Australian state is looking to poach Kiwi workers. Northern Territory is offering New Zealanders $25,000 Australian higher pay and lower cost of living to work in their prisons. And the tighter toddler's death is being treated as a homicide. Toddler was taken to hospital about 10.30 in the morning on Sunday in an unresponsive state and could not be revived, but police believe her Uh, His injuries could be up to 12 hours earlier inflicted on them. Firefighters hospitalised. Two firefighters have been taken to hospital after a blaze in West Auckland this afternoon. That was yesterday afternoon. They seem to be A-OK, one a bit more than the other. Then we had the um, council at Auckland. They voted against Maori wards. And uh, police say that they are continuing their investigation into the death of a man following an incident at Auckland Custody Unit earlier this month and that was the one he was the one that stabbed he was a stabber wasn't he and I think that was at um, New Windsor Road Dairy from not far from Myora Road in Auckland that is New Windsor and debt to be to do us part the majority failed to consider retirement incomes during separation that's when couples separate failure to take KiwiSaver contributions into consideration in relationship property is the reason some of those splitting later in life find themselves worse off, according to new research. And police seize money, drugs, vehicle and cash in a nation-spanning drug bust. Two dozen people have been arrested, with the culmination of the investigation that lasted over a year, according to police. And tsunamis, tsunami sirens in Auckland are to be deactivated due to theft and their age. Across the Rodney, Albany and Waitakere wards, 42 sirens will be decommissioned and placed uh, by alerts. They're going to be sent, replaced rather, by alerts that are sent to your mobile phone, which I absolutely hate. I find that an absolute affrontery, them coming through on my phone, but still, that's what they do. And we've got this uh, little penguin here, the National Aquarium's little blue penguin is going to be put down due to spinal deterioration. They've probably been giving it some pharmaceutical drugs, which has probably caused it, probably vaccinated it or something. The Maori word for it is a koroa, a koroa and uh, the little thing they've it's called it's described Dora, and that's what they've given it a name. It's called a um, it's a princess apparently among the penguins, charismatic, curious, and a little bit cheeky. That's what they say. But I bet you they've been filling it full of drugs, and that's why it's dead going to be put down because it's not doing very well. And then the other story about the uh, so-called trans activists, the transvestites, set to trial over the juicing of Posey Parker, protest or accused of pouring tomato juice over the British. Now here they've called her an anti-trans campaigner. You see she's not at all. She's a women's rights activist and uh, that's her name. But anyway, the uh, transvestite and far-left activist has had his case... uh, he wants to have them dismissed, but the judge has said no. Winston Peters should seriously look at himself, according to Abdur Razg. He's the um, spokesman for... He, he's at the coronial inquest at the moment, isn't he? And uh, he reckons that, that Winston Peters is just politicking after he made false tweets. But Winston Peters says no. Deputy Prime Minister says that New Zealand First Leader's tweets on Dame Jacinda Ardern that she knew about their March 15th terror attacks before they happened are bizarre and incorrect. Not according to Peters, and he doesn't often chirp up unless he's got some real hard evidence, but uh, we'll see if he's wrong, shall we? I suppose that'll pan out, won't it? And life left at Lake Onslow Battery Project yet 
according to experts, what, what's what yet? What does that mean? There's still life left in it. Okay. However, National is promising to pull a stop to the renewable uh, energy reservoir at its first 100 days of office. And uh, according to Luxon, he says there's a lot to get through. Parliament closes down period, or close down period will be shorter, according to the prime, new incoming Prime Minister, Chris Luxon. He said there's a lot of work to be done in Parliament and they'll need to run longer to get through it all. National Party leader and incoming Prime Minister Christopher Luxon. Regional Council approves Maori constituency for 2025 elections, not according to the Auckland area. They've said no, but Wellington have said yes. The move will ensure that permanent place for Maori voices is going to be heard, embedded and carried forward in decision-making, according to the Wellington City Council. And uh, retailers, they pin hopes on holiday period in the face of a sluggish consumer demand. Retailers say that things are not very good, more than half dealing with higher cost and soft consumer demand. Mobile phone companies fail to improve billing info, review has found. Telecommunications Commissioner says it's disappointing that further improvement seems to have stalled. And banana plantations doomed as virus spreads northern, uh, yeah, northern growers. One of the world, virus, oh, nonsense, virus. Um, we need to go to drsambailey.com. We need to all read the book Virus Mania. And we need to find out what really causes things. It'll be something in the soil that's affected the, um, the plants. And uh, they're starting to die. And because they have no idea what's going on. <laughs> They've got no idea. They just call it a virus. Anyway, but they say that one of the world's most common banana varieties, Cavendish, is facing possible extinction, stoking concerns of a worldwide shortage. It's just the soil. It'll be something they're giving it. West Coast councils defend the use of closed-door workshops, a fresh call by the Ombudsman for council workshops to be open to the public, by default has received a cautious response on the West Coast. Election campaign fight of your eyeballs. Oh, that's right. We're getting on, reading down a bit now. I think we've covered all these in the last few days. But every political party poured money into the online ads. And just in case you haven't heard it, it's actually quite interesting. The people that spent the most would be, well, the party that spent the most is actually ACT Party, as far as I know. Yes, debates, rallies and walkabouts got much of the attention in the election campaign, but a big part of the battle unfolded on the internet with millions of dollars being spent on all sides of the political spectrum. Uh, in his victory speech, the two supporters on election night, incoming Minister Christopher Luxon, he reserved special thanks for his part in the campaign, sorry, his, for his uh, campaign team. He said they left no social media meme unposted and no tick untalked in an effort to reach as many Kiwis as possible with National's message, he said. Reaching people has shifted beyond television advertising and billboards as audiences move online, so more political advertising is being carried out. Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, published the data about the political advertising on its forum, Google, and dominant search engines, and owner of YouTube does as well. The Radio New Zealand analysis examined three months of data leading up to the election, and this is part of a two-part series explaining what they found. Combined National Labour Act and Greens, New Zealand First and the Māori Party spent somewhere between $1.5 and $2.3 million on two publishers' platforms in that period, just two. And so they are the ACT Party, 
they spent a total of $902,863, and they spent uh, about half of that, uh, just over over half on Google, and the rest was on Meta, which is uh, Facebook, isn't it? I think so. Uh, Labor Party only spent $190,100, and th- it was on Google, and the Meta, they spent $301,000. National spent only 125800 even less on Google, and Meta, they spent 329574 The Green Party spent 126 on Google and 142 on Meta, and New Zealand First spent 95700 on Google, and hardly anything on, oh, either we go, Meta, 28200 and TMP, they spent 51000 um, a total of, a total of 51,364. Google got 49,800 of that. So that's the list. Uh, so yes, so X, the biggest spend, equated to more than more ad impressions. Its ads on Meta and Google were visible up to 98 million times, roughly twice as much as Labour's ads. Data from the Meta and Google suggests that in the three-month period before the election day, each New Zealander was exposed to, to 41 party ads with six parties that made it into the Parliament. This does not include online ads on other networks, television or radio advertising, or outdoor advertising hoarding. During the campaign, Luxon mocked Labour's leader Chris Hipkins for the party's policy to cut GST from fruit and vegetables, saying supermarkets should soak up savings. But Labour was keen to to, uh, mock that policy online. It spends up to $7,999 on a single advertisement on Facebook, its highest spend on a single ad during the campaign. For National, an advertisement about crime topped the list. Act's biggest spend was on an ad featuring Deputy Leader Brooke Van Velden. Up to 9999 was spent on that ad. The Maori Party's top spend was on an ad featuring Dame Nida Clavish urging people to vote and it's got such a big long Mary name here I don't even think I'd have a go at it this is far greater than than you okay so that, that's what it means in English this is far greater than you the Green Party's biggest spend on Facebook was for an ad uh, about renters and the slot of New Zealand First leader his one was about the rodeo wasn't it and you can see Samantha Edwards's uh, documentary about Winston Peters called Winston Rides Again, and you can go and see that at Counterspin Media. Hop over there and find out all about it. Look, coming up, we're going to hear from Rosa Corey about a managed retreat, really, sustainable development. It's not what you think it is coming up right after this. Congressman, not the NBC, the media, not no, I, most I, American I media. I, we're talking, say, I did not say NBC, about, but, but CNN did. And I will tell media you. media in it, the Arab world. And I will, CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to, when you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. 
OK, 23 to 7 here at Liberty NZ Breakfast with Grant Edwards. We'll have TNT Radio News at 7, but right now, here's Rosa Corey. This is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. It's a totalitarian state to being developed right now all over the world. It is the inventory and control plan. Inventory and control of all land, all water, all minerals, all plants, all animals, all construction, all means of production, all food, all energy, all information, and all human beings in the world. And this is a plan that was agreed to by 179 nations back in 1992. It's a United Nations plan. It's called the Agenda for the 21st Century. And so many of us around the world think that, um, well, sustainable development, it just sounds so great. Isn't it about recycling and creative reuse and, uh, and creating energy and food resources for everyone? And the answer is no, it really is not. It's about moving populations into city centers, concentrated city centers, and clearing them out of the rural areas. All systems have to be brought into harmony in order to control them all. Because when systems don't meet, when they're, when they're out of balance or not in sync with one another, they can't be controlled centrally. And the goal of Agenda 21 is one world government and total control from a central unit. Every nation that signed on to Agenda 21 has its, uh, its local Agenda 21 plan. People in the United States are completely unaware of this. If I go out and talk about this, the United States press will attacks me and calls me which is it's totally ridiculous. It is a but it's not a theory. It's a fact. The three pillars of United Nations Agenda 21 are economy, ecology, and equity, the three E's. And everyone's sort of thinks that they know what that means, the idea of social equity. It must mean that, well, everyone's going to have access to clean water and clean air, and uh, no one's property is going to be used as a dumping ground because they are at a poverty level. But really what social equity is about is about impoverishing huge portions of the population and bringing down uh, the developed nations. Everything that we're looking at now is destined to collapse our economies. It's a totalitarian state to being developed right now all over the world. And what major corporations want in this development is to be able to, uh, to have move, full movement of, of, uh, of workers without borders or boundaries, to be able to move their goods through without regulations, and to reduce wages. And so this is the goal. So this is what you find with social equity. And of course, economy and uh, ecology is about, these are the three circles, economy, ecology, and social equity. And where they meet in the center is balance. But really that balance is a communitarian balance. So it's not balance of well-being of the people. What it is is it's a balance for corporations so that they can exploit and control and have populations in an area, in tightly packed, dense areas, so that they can be surveilled and managed. And this is what that balance looks like as far as the development of a totalitarian state is.
the mainstream media is owned by five major corporations and you're not going to get this information from the mainstream press. So you need to be your own press. You need to educate yourself. You need to get out there and educate your neighbors, your community, your real community. You need to help your children understand that they're being indoctrinated from pre-kindergarten to postgraduate school. All of us have a responsibility to ourselves and to others. This is true community, to work for personal freedom. And always remember that even though we work as a group, if we do work as a group, we're all individuals in those groups and we answer only to ourselves. And this is essential. It's essential as, as, as free human beings, this is what we are. We are free and we need to continue to be free. And I do believe that we will win, but we have to become aware that there is a fight and then make our friends and our neighbors and our community aware as well and work together. That's Rosa Corey. That is Rosa Corey. It's 17 minutes to 7, TNT Radio News at 7. And we'll also have a look at this day in history, New Zealand history, coming up very shortly. Congressman, not the NBC, the media, not no, I, most I, American I media. I we're talking. Say, I did not say NBC, about, but, but CNN did. About and I will tell media you. Media in it, the Arab world. And I will, CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to, when you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Uh, facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. Right, that's for sure. Okay, we're looking at NewZealandHistory.gov.nz. The first, this is on this day, 1943, October the 27th, and uh, troops of the 8th Brigade, the 3rd Division New Zealand, the 3 New Zealand Division, number 3, landed on Mono, one of the Treasury Islands in the Solomon Group, and they had to help clear it of Japanese forces. And this was the first opposed landing by, or rather, yes, opposed landing by New Zealand troops. First opposed. That's interesting. I thought they'd say proposed. Uh, landing by New Zealand troops uh, since Gallipoli 1915. Third New Zealand Division, that's, that's what they called it. There was the first division. They went, I think they went to Europe. Second division, they were in Europe as well. They, I think they ended up going to Italy round about just after Monte Cassino was taken, the second div. And this is the third div. And uh, they arrived at Guadalcanal in the Solomon Islands about mid-September 1943. A month later, they received orders to seize and hold Stirling and Mono Islands, uh, where the Americans planned to establish a long-range radar station. The New Zealanders landed on Mono Island at about 6.25 in the morning uh, in the face of enemy machine gun fire and managed to establish a beachhead alongside the American forces. By the end of the day, 21 New Zealanders have been killed. 17 wound, 70 wounded, although the, the, the Japanese defenders were outnumbered, Mono's geography afforded them some protection. The island rose steeply from the sea, and dense forests concealed many caves in which the enemy was able to hide. 
clearing the island was a slow and difficult task and uh, it was declared clear of Japanese forces on November the 7th but isolated enemy positions held out for weeks longer. So that happened on this day, 1943, 27th of, um, yeah, 27th of October. 14 minutes to 7, and um, here's Samantha Edwards uh, with Mike Hosking's take on the whole saga of uh, Winston Peters. At this point, once this heinously cruel bill was well and truly on track and gaining momentum, Winston Peters all of a sudden requested a public referendum, barely a day or two before the first reading. It was obvious that the late stage of this request almost guaranteed that it would be denied. Tracy Martin and Andrew Little both said many times that in all the months leading up to the bill entering committee phase that no mention of referendum was ever made. It appeared as if Winston was now trying to separate himself from Labour and from a bill that he had supported through the first and second readings and had played such a pivotal role in by making a request for referendum to save face with the public, while knowing that the late point of that request pretty much guaranteed it would never happen. As you can see in this article, Tracy Martin declared on the morning report, the very day before the first reading of the bill, that no discussion of referendum had ever been had, even at that late point. Here was Mike Hosking's take on the situation. Although I don't think he has much of a handle on globalist agendas like extreme abortion bills and extreme end-of-life bills, he knew something wasn't adding up. Winston Peters is who I'm talking about. He is 100% right and I suspect the arch-villain here as well. New Zealand First wants a referendum apparently on abortion law reform. Tracy Martin has been hung out to dry basically as the New Zealand First representative. Either that or she's Machiavellian and hiding something. It seems inconceivable the party sent her out and didn't tell her about a desire for a vote. It also seems inconceivable she didn't ask whether it would be part of the mix. If it's the latter, she's incompetent in almost Twyford-like proportions. Now, the villain part of Peter's is the fact he's manufactured this. Of course he has. I mean, good grace and manners would have involved him giving everyone a heads up. He didn't do that. Why not? Because it didn't suit his agenda. Here's Right to Life UK's take on Winston's request for a referendum. They write, Winston Peters has hidden behind claims that he will introduce a referendum amendment at committee stage of the bill to give New Zealanders a say on whether this extreme bill becomes law. This appears to have been a move to try and stop voters from leaving the party. The problem with this approach is that it will not be part of the core bill, and he does not have the support of sufficient numbers for it to pass. If he was serious about letting the New Zealand public have a say on whether this bill becomes law, he would have insisted that his government include a provision guaranteeing a referendum on this issue in the body of the original bill, but this was not included. Which is, of course, what Winston did do for the end-of-life choice bill, because that's a referendum he actually did want. Many New Zealand First supporters tried to reconcile this whole nightmare with the notion that Winston Peters just didn't know how atrocious the bill was, and that when he became aware of it, he asked for a referendum. But as I said, he only made that request a day or two before the first reading and then he went on to vote for the bill, in favour of it, after that, in both the first and second readings. This support was essential for the bill to gain the traction and momentum that it needed, momentum that wouldn't be halted by a referendum request that late in the game. Winston knew full well that it would take more than a handbrake to slow this thing down at that point. 
That's exactly why he made sure that the provision for the referendum on the end-of-life choice bill was locked into the core of the bill years before it went to committee phase. Nevertheless, Winston put his spin doctors to work to sell the handbrake narrative yet again. Cam Slater's the BFD in particular worked hard to create the false narrative that Winston was doing his best to do what he does, apply the handbrake on a rogue government. And they were quite successful in establishing that narrative actually, by leaving out all the important details. The BFD published headlines such as this one, declaring that Winston had indeed slowed down the abortion bill, when the truth is he didn't slow it down one little bit. He could have at any point along the way. He could have stopped it altogether, but he chose not to. And it was his MP who co-wrote it in the first place under his leadership. New Zealand First supporters also proposed that Winston just didn't know what Tracy Martin was up to, although he's never actually said that, and that he was completely unaware that he was actually channeling the world's most extreme abortion bill through Parliament, and that's why he voted for in the first two readings. The problem with that theory is that it requires Winston to not have read the bill before voting in favour of it at the first two readings. <laughs> he voted in favour twice, allowed it to gain the necessary momentum where it couldn't then be halted in time, and then he voted against in the final reading. It's a well-known trick. You see, clever politicians like Winston Peters know how to read how a bill is tracking and know when it's safe to withdraw support to save face. He knew of the swag of Liberal women and national who would be voting in support, such as Judith Collins, Amy Adams, Nikki Kaye, Paula Bennett, many more. By all appearances, it seems that he knew that he could at that point say to his men, you know what, boys, I think we're fine. I think we can wipe our fingerprints off this now and let the women do the dirty work and be cast as the barbaric murderers here. People are less likely to point the finger at a woman. It's her body after all. So now that we've got this thing into a sure position, let's just back off and wash up. So let's have the New Zealand First men vote against on the third reading and let's have our New Zealand First women vote in favour. That way it keeps the women's vote safe too. So when all was said and done, he was able to present himself on the other side saying he'd asked for a referendum but he was denied it and that he voted against the bill. But why hasn't he ever since condemned the bill? Why has he never talked about having it repealed at any stage along his 2023 election campaign. Oh, that was a quick finish. OK, seven minutes to seven here at the Liberty NZ Breakfast with me, Grant Edwards. Coming up, we have got the... Um, there's going to be a World Council of Health class action lawsuit over in Australia against Pfizer. I think it's just against Pfizer, so we'll hear about that in a moment. But first of all, let's uh, look at the front page of uh, some of the um, publications again and see if there's anything new happened. Um, the, I guess the, the main story for New Zealand is, is the uh, the World Cup rugby. Uh, Ritalik, he starts over Whitelock as the All Blacks name their side for the Rugby World Cup final. That's just come through, and that's going to be uh, on Sunday, as far as I know. And the other big story this morning, the Army Reservists suspected of a mass shooting in Maine, USA, uh, is still at large, and there's photographs here of him. He doesn't look very happy. He's got a an AR something, I, I don't know, automatic weapon, might not be an AR-15, but it looks like a semi-automatic 
uh, weapon and it's up at the shooting position. A couple of photographs of him there. Uh, so the main police search for the US Army reservist on Thursday, they wanted he's wanted in the murder of 18 people and killed, yes he killed 18, uh, and 13 were wounded in the shooting. And that was at a bowling alley and also at a bar in Lewiston the previous night. Uh, it has expanded the manhunt. A police fanned out across southern Maine with the arrest warrant for this man, suspected na- his name is uh, Robert R. Card, a U.S. Army rever- uh, reservist, who law enforcement said had been committed to a mental health facility over the summer. They circulated photographs of a bearded man in a brown hooded sweatshirt and jeans at one of the crime scenes armed with what appeared to be a semi-automatic rifle. Public school districts in the area cancelled classes on Thursday and police urged residents to stay indoors. Mr Card is considered armed and dangerous. According to the police, they advise that Maine people should not approach him under any circumstances. Maine State Police found a white SUV they believe to be Card's vehicle and that was the one that he drove to town in, in Lisbon, seven miles, or 11 kilometres to the southeast. And urge people. They urge people to remain indoors in both Lewiston and Lisbon. Um, early Thursday, police also told residents in the town of Bowdoin, about 12 miles east of Lewiston, to shelter in place. Card lives in Boindon, Bowdoin, I should say, <laughs> according to public records. There was an eerie quiet in Lewiston and Lisbon on Thursday morning, with almost no cars on the road and just a few people outside. Many downtown businesses appeared to be closed. The main law enforcement bulletin identified Card, who's a 40-year-old, a trained firearms instructor at the U.S. Army Reservist base of Sarko, that's in Maine, who recently uh, said to be hearing voices and had other mental issues. So it's not a gun control issue, it's a mental health issue. He threatened to shoot up the National Guard base at Sarko, and was reported to have been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks during the summer of 2023 and subsequently released, according to the bulletin from the Maine Information and Analysis Centre and the unit at Maine State Police. Reuters could not confirm the detailed reports in the bulletin. The US Army said Card was a sergeant and a petroleum supply specialist in Army Reserve who had been deployed in combat since he enlisted in 2002. Gosh, that's a long time. The attacks began shortly before 7pm at the just-in-time recreation bowling alley where a female patron and six males were shot dead. Police said, uh, without giving the victims ages, a short time later they received reports of a shooting at uh, Shemingi's Bar and Grill restaurant. That's about three miles, five kilometres away. Seven males were fatally shot dead there, according to police. Three victims who were taken to hospital later died of their injuries. In a split second, you, your world gets turned upside down for no good reason. That was according to a Facebook post there by the bar. And uh, so Justin Time said in the Facebook post, all, all the social media stuff, isn't it? Uh, devastating for our community. Uh, None of this seems real, but unfortunately it is, another post said. Okay, so gun regulations. Uh, Guns are likely regulated in Maine, a largely rural state near the northeastern border with Canada. It's got nothing to do with gun regulation, so I'm not even going to bother reading that because it's just 
plugging uh, a story. It's all about they want to disarm everybody. They want to disarm good citizens as well. So this could be just another one of those situations where this guy's mind-controlled. We don't know, do we? Could be. Seems to be very strange. A lot of this sort of stuff happening. You don't hear about these sorts of things in Israel, though, do you? You don't hear about, um, you know, former military, former IDF going nuts and walking into cafes and killing people. Just doesn't happen in Israel. And yet they walk around. You know, there's I've seen photographs of people in bars with the, you know, similar sort of rifle, semi-automatic um, military-style rifles, you know, strung up over the shoulder, um, ordering a drink, <laughs> sitting on a stool, uh, walking along the beaches in bikinis. And, uh, you know, the guys in swimwear with um, uh, machine guns, or not machine, what do they call them today, just semi-automatics, I suppose, military-style type rifles, combat-looking weapons, uh, slung over their rifle, over their um, necks, and um, just walking around. But you don't hear about mass shootings, just doesn't happen. I suppose they're all united, aren't they? And uh, there's something really weird going on in the West, in the Western countries, and it's happening all over the world. Uh, in America, they seem to be pushing America because they, they really want to get rid of the Second Amendment, don't they, over there? They want to disarm people. So the world, the world government want to disarm you because they've got some terrible draconian things that they've got planned coming up in the future. And so they don't want anyone shooting back at them. That's what I think it is anyway. So, you know, you can only push good people for so long. So we've got to resist, um, I think we've got to resist them. Here in New Zealand, you're not allowed to defend yourself. If you ask, the, the firearms officer will ask you, why do you want a uh, firearm? And if you don't say, you know, it's for work or, you know, for sport, if you said, oh, it's just home defence, which is which should be a basic human right to be able to defend yourself in your own home, uh, they would not give you, uh, you would not get a licence in this country. So um, everyone... They all tell lies, don't they? <laughs> but um, that's the way it is. It's a very strange. And I think when New Zealand Loyal get back in, their aim, when they will get in, well, not back in, but when they get in, probably next year, New Zealand Loyal will be the new, the new government. Of course they will. And uh, so they're going to have a constitution. So it's going to be more like a republic, which is a limited democracy. Democracy on its own is very, very dangerous, as we heard from G. Edward Griffin. But a democracy that has got a constitution is, a, is really, and we need to break free from the United Kingdom, from the Crown, because they've not served us at all, as far as I can tell. It's um, just a disaster, really. I don't know why we we bother with it. So we should get out of that and form a a republic and get rid of all the globalists out of our country. We can't afford to have them, and uh, we've got to say to them, if you want to be a if you want to be a globalist, okay, that's good. You can't be in our government. So you've got to decide who, who it is you want to be, whether you want to be a New Zealander and swear allegiance to your country and or whether you want to be a globalist. So you just have to make your mind up, don't you? Um, let's go over to TNT Radio News. We'll catch the last of um, what's happening there. And then um, I think it's Basil Valentine. And then we'll go straight to news. And I'll be back with weather right after the news at 7.
replay of this hour, go to episodes at tntradio.live. Now, TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Britain could hold another by-election after the suspension of the MP for Wellingboro over bullying and sexual misconduct relating to a staff member. The Conservatives are at risk of losing another seat following the six-week suspension of Peter Bone from the Commons. The Parliament's independent expert panel has found that Mr. Bone committed five acts of bullying and one act of sexual misconduct by indecently exposing himself to a staff member. The bullying involved violence, shouting and swearing, mocking, belittling and humiliating behavior, and ostracism, which often happened in front of others. Mr. Bone has appealed the IEP decision and denies the incidents took place. The panel has dismissed his appeal and recommended a six-week suspension. Twenty-one American troops were injured in drone attacks against U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria in just two days last week, the Pentagon said Wednesday. Pentagon Press Secretary Air Force Brigadier General Pat Ryder said in a statement between October 17th and 18th, 21 U.S. personnel received minor injuries due to drone attacks at Al-Assad Air Base, Iraq, and Al-Tamf Garrison, Syria. Ryder confirmed all members returned to duty, but added in some cases, service members can report injuries such as traumatic brain injury several days after attacks occur so that the number could change. Fox News host Greg Gutfeld delivered commentary on the Trump presidency, Jewish people, and the race-baiting industry on Wednesday's broadcast of The Five. The further away we get from Trump 2020, the closer he gets to the White House in 2024. Everything that he's done just looks better and better. Between inflation, uh, home prices, a hot war, a cold war, a broken border, decimated cities, it makes you dream of a strong country whose only problem was an intelligentsia plagued by mean tweets and crass jokes. We lost Trump because the media preferred peace of mind over actual peace. Israeli ambassador to the UN, Galad Erdan, demanded Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez step down on Tuesday, accusing him of showing compassion for terrorists and murderers in a speech to the Security Council. It is important to also recognize the attacks by Hamas did not happen in a vacuum. The Palestinian people have been subjected to 56 years of suffocating occupation. And you, Mr. Secretary General, have lost all morality and impartiality. Because when you say those terrible words that these heinous attacks did not happen in a vacuum, you are tolerating terrorism. This is a pure blood libel, and I think that the Secretary General must resign. TT Radio's Patrick Henningsen says nations are acting just like they did with Ukraine. Now, this outburst by the Israeli representative to the United Nations is very telling. What is he upset about? What is in the text of the UN Secretary General, Antonio Gutierrez, that has really upset the Israeli ambassador to the UN? And looking at the text, the real word that pops out that's problematic is the word ceasefire, or to be more accurate, unconditional ceasefire. And it's not only Israel that is upset at anybody calling for a ceasefire. The United States is also said it categorically precludes any ceasefire in this conflict. Britain says it's not interested in a ceasefire. It wants to continue with the bombing of Gaza. At least that's the implication of it from Rishi Sunak. So you have all the leading Western powers here doing exactly what they did with 
with Ukraine. No ceasefire, no peace negotiations. Just keep the war going a little bit longer while the bodies pile up. For TNT Radio, this is Patrick Hennings. Five past seven, weather is next. Congressman, not the NBC, the media, not no, I, most I, of American I media. I we're talking. Say, I did not say NBC, but but CNN did. About and I will tell you, media in it, the Arab world. And I will CNN did as well. And I will tell you, uh, it is wrong. It is wrong. We need to. When you are in war, you better make sure you have your facts. We cannot have Baghdad Bobs running around uh, promulgating these lies, uh, especially members of Congress. Uh, so it is imperative. Uh, it does matter. Facts matter here. And we need to make sure uh, that people understand Israel did not attack a hospital. Uh, that was a terrorist organization that did that. OK, let's look at the weather. The extremes, first of all, Napier has 19 degrees, Omarama minus 0.1 degrees this morning, Kaikoura 59 kilometres of wind is the highest wind recorded, Banks Peninsula with 4.5 millimetres of rain. Temperatures across the main centres, Stewart Island 1 degree, Invercargill 3 along with Dunedin, Timaru 2 degrees, Queenstown 1, France Joseph 3 degrees, Westport 8, Nelson 10, Blenheim's on 9, Christchurch 11, and uh, the Chatham Islands 16. Pretty warm and toasty over there. Did I say Timaru? Timaru has 2 degrees. Wellington's on 12, Masterton a little cooler there, 11 degrees. Napier 19, Palmerston North 11 degrees, uh, New Plymouth 12 degrees, Taupo 13, Rotorua 14. Gisborne has 18, and I'm not sure, did I miss? You don't know where we're right. Gisborne has 18 degrees, and we've got Tauron was also on 18. Hamilton, 13 degrees. Auckland, warm and toasty there, 17 degrees. Whangarei, 16, and Kaitaia, 17 degrees. The short forecast for Northland, Waitomo, including Coromandel, Bath Plenty, Taupo and Taramanui. Periods of rain this morning, clearing from for most in the afternoon. For Gisborne, Hawke's Bay, a few showers of rain this morning, a few spots of rain rather, uh, otherwise mainly fine. Taranaki to Wellington, including Taihapi and Wairarapa. Fine spells developing this morning, a few showers uh, but rain first in the morning for Taihapi. For Buller and Westland, showers with possible thunderstorms and snow down to 200 metres this morning, gradually clearing uh, from the south. Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, scattered rain with showers clearing this evening. Snow to 300 metres for a time, only isolated showers in Nelson though. For Otago, south into Fiordland, showers, some heavy with possible thunderstorms and snow to near sea level. Showers easing this uh, evening. Chatham Islands, rain developing this morning, easing to a few showers later in the day. It's nearly eight minutes past seven and that's my lot. I will see you tomorrow. No, I won't. I'll see you Monday morning. If all goes well, Lord willing, as we like to say. And uh, so, yes, see you then. Thanks very much. You know, sometimes, Dan, you're out there criticizing the media, and I want to defend the media, but there is no defense here. This was an atrocious uh, series of mistakes by many different major newsrooms all around the same time on Tuesday. And unfortunately, I don't think there's been enough follow-up or accountability to make sure it doesn't happen again. I've noticed oftentimes in breaking news stories, breaking news scenarios, when information is lowest, interest is highest. And by the time we actually know the facts, people move on. Well, this was one of those cases, but it was even worse because when the stakes are highest, it seems the standards were the lowest and it should be the opposite. The standards should be the highest when the stakes are as high as they are right now. What are you most concerned about in terms of the media coverage that, that we've seen so far? I don't know why this was called a strike right away. Why not an apparent explosion?
I don't know why reporters went with those huge reports of death of, of deaths, hundreds of alleged deaths, when it had only been 30 or 60 minutes since the explosion. Common sense would indicate that we didn't know yet how many people might have died. That's right. Oh, before I go, let me tell you that uh, you can hear country music goes 24-7 here at the wireless. And uh, so if you are on Rumble, you'll need to go over to Xeno.fm or get the Xeno app or any of, I think, most of the apps we've got there. But if you look in the description, if you're on looking at Rumble, you can see all the links to our streaming software. OK, we'll see you on Monday morning. You're listening to The Wireless. I love sleeping in on Saturdays And I love college football games I love not acting my age And good barbecue Yeah, I'm a fan